produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. And fresh water doesn't flow from a saltwater spring either. Amen. The word of the Lord. I said last week part of the reason I chose to preach on James uh, for these two weeks is because I couldn't stand it. And one of the reasons I couldn't stand this is because this uh, series of passages we just read here is uh, one of the great hammer verses in the Bible. Um, Parents, I want you to pay attention because this verse was put to good use on me as a kid. See, my mom would say to me, see, the Bible says you have to watch what you say. That means no whining, no telling lies, no gossiping, no cussing. It's one of those great hammer verses, and it just led me just to not stand James. It's also one of those passages that ministers like to use against their congregation to rebuke them. Congregations that like to share juicy details from a session meeting. Or congregations that love to listen to the latest church office gossip. Or congregations that love to gripe and criticize each other and its leaders. This is one of those great hammer verses in the New Testament where you can really get somebody with it. And while gossip and spreading lies and exaggerating the truth and cursing at each other are certainly not good things, that's not exactly what James is talking about here. He's talking more about the tongue itself and the nature of speech. Remember last week we talked about how James desired to see what we believe in become real change in our lives. We heard that powerful verse that said, faith is meaningless when it doesn't result in faithful activity. And James is also concerned with this idea of double-mindedness. If we say we believe in Christ and yet refuse to help a homeless man, isn't that being double-minded? If we say we desire God's justice and yet we resort to violence, isn't that being double-minded? If we say we want to follow God's wisdom and yet follow the wisdom of our culture, isn't that being double-minded? James even went so far as to call us in that first chapter God's love offering for the world. And the rest of his letter, like we talked about last week, is how we put that into practice, how we actually do these things. That's what chapter 2 is about. And he said, to live our faith, we must pay special attention to the poor, not show favoritism. We must follow the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, to live out your faith, you must realize that there are no small sins and big sins. They're all big sins in the eyes of God. And so here in chapter 3, James goes on a little bit of a tirade. It's the best way to describe it. Those who have translated the Greek just say it's almost like he's literally yelling at people from the pages. He's angry with the church and calling them out on their poor behavior. And what's so interesting about these passages today is in many ways, James is not saying anything terribly different from what a lot of Greek scholars were saying back then. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He uses some powerful metaphors, and two of them are almost exactly identical to some of the things the culture around them was saying, but he has a third one that changes everything. All these philosophers and wisdom teachers and ancient Roman and Jewish societies agreed that speech was both powerful and dangerous. And they all agreed that silence was better than speech, that hearing, not speaking, was the pathway to wisdom. 
They believed if someone had to speak, it should be brief, and that all speech should be under control. A wise person in their mind would never use speech to express rage or anger or envy. The Greek philosopher Plubius said it this way. He said, I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence. Religion without control of the tongue is worthless. James, in his letter here, gives us lots of examples of how speech has been used negatively in the church. In chapter 1, he tells of people that were erroneously claiming that God was the one tempting them. In chapter 2, he gets on to the church for speaking to the rich but not to the poor. He also talks about them talking a good game but not doing anything about it. In chapter 4, speech is used to judge and slander brothers and sisters in Christ. In chapter 5, we see Christians griping at each other. James is trying to make the point to us that speech is both powerful and dangerous. And that's where these three metaphors come in today. And the first of these is the bridle and the bit of a horse. I'm going to reread verses 2 and 3 for us. It says, We make mistakes often, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouths to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Like I said earlier, this is actually a pretty common metaphor in the ancient world. A bit in a horse's mouth is something that people would have heard. And it's a good one. I got a, pic, a picture of Brian would show it up here. This is actually uh, a picture of a first century Roman horse bit. And there's a certain beauty in it. Two simple pieces of bronze linked together. And when combined with some leather and a rope, a giant war horse could be controlled. The rider of the horse or a person on a chariot could affect and direct the strength and the speed and the direction of a beast much larger than themselves. He or she could control an entire team of horses all because of a couple pieces of bronze that sit in a horse's mouth against its tongue. The point I think he's trying to make to us is that if we can control our tongues, then we can control our entire bodies. If you have disciplined speech, that can lead to disciplined action. If you have patient speech, it can lead to patient action. Gracious speech leads to gracious action. Loving speech leads to loving action. The tongue sets the tone for your entire body. Wise followers of Christ can control their tongues. Their words and their actions, therefore, can have powerful effects. That's why we read that first chapter from Mark today, earlier in worship. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, some of the prophets say you're John the Baptist. Some, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and, and some of the prophets. And so Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter's response is, you are the Christ. Those simple words, you are the Christ, opened up a new world of possibilities and power for Peter. His faith was wise and controlled. 
his words, well, chosen, gave him the discipline to lead the early church and to challenge it when it's needed. When we control our tongues and choose the right words, we can control our entire bodies. And next, James moves on to this other metaphor. There's the bit, but now he moves on and he says, the tongue is the rudder of a giant ship. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 for us. Consider ships, they are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. But pilots direct their ships wherever they want with a small rudder. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. While the idea of controlling your tongue, like a bridled horse, is kind of narrow. It's a simple description. The metaphor of a tongue being like a rudder opens us up to new understandings. Each new metaphor that he goes into expands our understanding of the tongue. So it starts with, if you control the tongue, you control the body, and moves on to this understanding of the tongue as a rudder. Calling the tongue a rudder of a ship was also a well-known Roman teaching. It was common to hear people talk about this. And it would have been a particularly powerful metaphor for that early church. I have a couple pictures up here of this thing called the Nemi ship. The Roman Empire, in the height of their decadence under Emperor Caligula, set about to build a series of impressive building projects. The theater in Pompeii, the temple of Augustus, the creation of these enormous super harbors throughout the empire. And ships were not exempt from this extravagance. And the most famous of these were known as the Lake Nemi ships. And they were built between 37 and 41 A.D. And so that's really about the time that this letter is written. So this would have been a really powerful image. Early Christians probably would have heard or seen these monstrous ships or probably seen ships of similar size as they visited various port cities. These things were enormous. Look at them. The boats were designed to be floating palaces complete with plumbing. They had beams as tall as 79 feet in them. They were 230 feet long. And yet, despite their enormous size and the amount of energy needed to move them, it is the tiny rudder that directs where they go. And I think this can still be a powerful metaphor to us today. Here's another picture, the next one. This is called the Seawise Giant. And it's now a decommissioned super tanker. It's the next picture on there, um, Brian. Um, it was the largest boat ever built. She is 1,504 feet long. She's as long as the Sears Tower or now the Willis Tower is tall. She weighed a mind-blowing 657,019 tons when filled with crude oil. It took her five miles to stop from her maximum speed of 16 knots. It takes her two miles to make a full U-turn. But of all of her great size, she was control, controlled by a measly 230-ton rudder. What's different about this metaphor for James is that he starts talking about the outside forces affecting the ship. He talks about in the scripture a strong wind that powers the ship. He makes allusions to stormy waters 
And I think we can interpret those as dangerous times, difficult times for us, forces that are affecting our lives. So I think what he's trying to teach us here today is that a person who is able to keep control of their tongue in the midst of life's difficulties can emerge on the other side of it, intact and on course. So controlling your tongue during crisis can help you emerge from that crisis with a deeper relationship, a stronger faith. Think about that as wisdom for the early church. Think about the early church hearing that in the midst of persecution. I'm sure the temptation to turn on one another and to dwell on suffering was present as the Roman Empire threatened death and imprisonment on the followers of Jesus. But controlling their tongues and refusing to speak out of fear, anxiety, or anger allowed that small, faithful community to endure storms of their day and emerge from it with relationships intact and their faith strengthened. King David was an example of that for us. Many of the Psalms in our Old Testament were written out, written by him, and they lay out a picture of a man who was on the run from those who would see him dead. Many of these Psalms were written actually as he was hiding in caves from, from people that were coming to kill him. Some of them were written in the middle of the barren desert where he was all along. And they are honest with God about David's frustrations and anger, but they still maintain a sense of control, understanding that ultimately God is the one who's in charge and the one who would deliver him from his enemies. So David controlled his tongue and allowed him to emerge from life's storms with a vibrant faith. And so while the bits where you control the tongue and you control your whole body in the rudder that teaches you to control your tongue in life storms. Those were common metaphors in Roman times. Next, James goes in a whole nother direction. This is where the tirade really begins. The metaphor he uses is that he calls the tongue a small fire. And I'm sure when the early church heard this, the first thing that popped in their mind was probably the story of Pentecost. It's a wonderful story where they say tongues of flame came upon those early apostles and they spoke different languages. But remember, James is writing a tirade here and he has nothing good to say about the tongue. Look at those verses again. He says, think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. No one can tame the tongue. That's dark. Makes you want to never talk again, doesn't it? The tongue is a cosmic force for evil. It is lit from the fires of hell. And the word he's using there is actually Gehenna, which is this, essentially, it's a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where there's a constant fire going on. So to hear this, they would have immediately thought of the dump yard on the other side of the city where there's this disgusting stench and fire going on. And he says, your tongue is lit from those fires. Roman philosophers thought it was possible. It was difficult, but it was possible for a truly wise man to control his tongue. But not James. He's much more pessimistic. He says no one can control it. To James, the tongue is not a tool that we can use. Instead, 
It has a mind of itself. It is its own unique being, and it's bent on evil. It is a small flame that sets the forest on fire. There's this little activity uh, I've done at youth events before and uh, in training sessions, and I think it perfectly illustrates this for us. It's where we're given a tube of toothpaste. Anyone ever done this? A tube of toothpaste and some toothpicks. And you have to squeeze a bunch of toothpaste out onto a piece of paper, and then your goal is to use the toothpicks and get as much toothpaste back in the tube as possible. Anyone ever done that? I've done it so many times I don't even give it a try anymore. I'm like, ugh, I understand that. <laughs> I understand the object lesson. And the object lesson is that once it gets out, you can never take it back. You can never get it back in. That's why uncontrolled speech is dangerous, because it's disruptive, it's upsetting, it breaks down community, it alienates those we are trying to love. This tiny muscle in our mouth can unleash enormous amounts of hurt, untruths, and pain. And once it gets out, we can't take it back. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie that little phrase is. That little phrase is. And there's a particular little phrase in verse 6 that I want to focus on. It says, it says that the tongue, that because of the tongue, the circle of life is set on fire. I was really tempted to make a terrible Lion King joke here, but I, <laughs> I decided against it. But that's a strange little phrase. Because of the tongue, the circle of life is set on fire. What does that mean? I think it's meant to make us think back at the beginning of Genesis. And what is the first and most important gift God gave humans? It is the power to name things. In the second chapter of Genesis, you find these words. The human gave every living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the livestock, all the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. There's a powerful link between words and creation. God said light, and light appeared. God named things. God named night, night, and day, day, and earth, earth, and sky, sky. The very act of speaking is a creative act, and God has given us the ability to create with words, to participate in what God is doing. To speak is to create. And that is why an uncontrolled tongue is so dangerous. It creates new things. It can create love for one another. It can spread truth and hope and love. It can build trust. But it can easily create anger and distrust and pain and suffering. The words we choose in every moment will determine whether we create a world according to God's plan, or whether we will set the world on fire and destroy the circle of life. James seems to think no one can control their tongue. So if we can't control our speech, why are we as Christians so eager to speak? Now, James didn't intend this to be so gloomy. Remember what he said in the beginning. You are God's first fruits. 
You are God's love offering from the, for the world. So James is deeply concerned with seeing us put our faith into action. And that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to teach us how to live and how to live in community, how to interact with the world around us so that we might be good news to the people we come into contact with. And so that's why he deals with this theme of double-mindedness that James comes back to over and over again. He's saying, you've got to choose one. And that's especially at play here with the tongue. How can one tongue speak both blessings and curses? So are we going to be the type of people that demand forgiveness from others, but we can't offer it ourselves? Are we going to be the type of people that speak about God loving everyone, but allow judgment and hate to be the type of words that come off our tongues? Are we going to be the type of people that say we love God and yet we cannot speak a kind word about a coworker? Are we going to be the type of people that say Jesus Christ has changed our whole understanding of the world and yet we still shape stories to make us look good and others bad? So I, want, I think what James is calling us to, what I think God is calling us to here is a careful examination of ourselves an examination that is largely focused on the words that are coming out of our mouths. Examine yourself. Determine who you truly are. Do you speak love to your neighbor or do you speak judgment? Do you speak hope for the future? Or are your words full of complaints? Do you speak up for the poor and the broken? Or is your tongue focused only on yourself? In every moment in your life, God is present with you, offering you opportunities to be faithful, to create with God, to be silent, or to speak words that can create the type of world God intends. Our God is a God of participation who wants you to jump in and co-create with Him. So God is inviting you to join a journey in search of beauty and truth and hope and peace and love. But when those opportunities come, will you speak words that set the world on fire? Or will you speak words full of hope and peace? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.